0: Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 6. We've been looking at a series of sermons on spiritual practices for our soul. And this morning we're looking at Psalm 6. This is a reading of God's word. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all, of all my foes. Depart from me all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Amen. This is a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, as we hear this preaching of your word, I pray that you would anoint your servant. Uh, but a broken vessel with your spirit that I would declare your word truthfully and point people to you who are the great healer of our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been going through a series of sermons on spiritual practices for our soul, and we've been looking at the Psalms, and the Psalms teach us about uh, spiritual practices like prayer, meditation, worship. It teaches us things like um Things that will help us to grow spiritually in our inward being to become more like God, more like Jesus. And this morning we're par- we're looking at a spiritual practice which I feel like is the most forgotten ancient spiritual practice. Meditation's big. Uh, Christians historically and today have seen the importance of prayer, but the spiritual practice today is lament. And lament is one of the forgotten spiritual practices that we desperately as a society need to bring back. Uh, one way that we see lament today is not actually in Christian circles, but in uh often secular circles. Um Lament, one way to describe lament is lament, if it's musical, is like the blues. Lament uh the Psalms were actually songs. They were meant to be sung in church. And if lament was a song, it would be the blues. The blues originated in the Deep South, uh, in the 1870s. It had its origins in field songs, uh, spirituals that were, were sung, uh, by slaves in the fields and also in the church. Uh, they are deeply, they're powerful because they're so honest. Uh, the, the blues artist Howlin' Wolf, all the blues artists had these kind of names, Howlin' Wolf. He says this. He, he explains what the blues are. A lot of people wonder, what is the blues? Well, when you ain't got no money, you got the blues. A lot of people holler about, I don't like the blues. But when you ain't got no money, and you can't pay your house rent, and you can't buy no food, you damn sure got the blues. If you ain't got no money, you got, you got the blues because you're thinking evil. That's right. Anytime you're thinking evil, you're thinking about the blues. Uh, I love the honesty of the blues. The late great B.B. King has a song called Nobody Loves Me But My Mama. And this is his lyrics. He says, nobody loves me but my mother and she could be jiving too. Nobody loves me but my mother and she could be lying too. Now you see why I act so funny, baby, when you do the things you do. Uh, the blues is about the deep anguish of our souls, uh, the brokenness, the bitterness of life. And what we want to do this morning is we want to bring the blues back. Uh, We want to reclaim the idea of the blues or, as we know it in the Bible, lament. Lament is a powerful practice of pouring out our soul and our anguish to God. What we're going to see this morning is that when you lament the way God calls us to, it's actually the way to true joy. Lament is not an end in itself. It's a way to actually experience Joy. So as we look at, we're going to look at lament in Psalm 6. Psalm 6 in many ways is a model lament. Psalm 6 teaches us three things about lament. The priority of it, uh, the practice of it, how to do it, and how finally it can lead you to joy. The healing of lament. The first thing is this priority of lament. Throughout the series we've been looking at the Psalms. The Psalms are right in the smack dab middle of the Bible. It's 150 of them. And if you look at the Psalms, they're all different variations. They're songs, they're prayers, uh, they're to be used in church service, but they're different categories. They're different kinds of songs. Some are songs of thanksgiving, some are hymns of praise, of worship, some are uh, confessions. Uh, but the most frequent type of Psalm is the Psalm of Lament. That's right. The most frequent, the most commonplace psalm, if you numbered all of them, would be the song of lament. What are laments? Well, laments are sad songs. They're songs of complaints. Uh, they are cries of distress, either for yourself or for your community. Uh, psalm 63 shows us the heart of what a lament is. In Psalm 63, this is what David says. This is a Psalm of David. My soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? Uh, David says his soul is troubled. In the Bible, your soul was the deepest part of who you were. And David is saying, the deepest part of me is broken. It's in distress. And he cries out to God because of it. He says, something is not right in me. The uh, theologian uh, soon Chang Ra, in his book, Prophetic Lament, says this. He says, in the Bible, lament is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering and it engages God in the context of pain and suffering. It is a way to express indignation and even outrage about the experience of suffering. Lament is a response to pain and suffering. It expresses inner anguish, even anger at God for the experience of suffering. All throughout the Bible, we see the practice of lament. If you're reading through the Bible, some of us read through the story of Job. And what is Job about? Essentially, Job is about, one of the themes about Job is, Job is about lament. Job, throughout the whole book, is weeping. He tears his clothes. He puts ashes on his head. And he's complaining. He's lamenting. He's in distress all throughout the book. That's a whole book on lament. There is a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. It's literally called Lamentation, a book of lament. It's about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, and that entire book is about a prophet lamenting a city that is broken. Jesus, at the end of uh, at the beginning of Holy Week, the last week of his life, uh, went and looked down at Jerusalem and saw all of it. And what was he doing? He wept over Jerusalem. He lamented over a city that was broken. He says, I desired to hold you in my arms, but you've rejected me. All throughout the Bible, we see that there is lament. People mourning, loss, evil, brokenness of our city. And in our culture, we need to relearn lament because there's so many things in our culture now that are broken. Uh, This last week, uh, a precious nine-year-old child was found, killed, and put in a duffel bag. On Thursday, Brent prayed about it this morning. Fifty people made in the image of God were brutally murdered as they were worshiping in a mosque. Uh, Right now in Yemen, there are 10 million people who are either right now or on the brink of starvation. That includes 2 million children who are starving to death as we speak. Add to that uh, this whole year that has been filled with scandals of sexual misconduct in the church, in the corporate world, in the entertainment industry. When you take all of that in, there are all these reasons why as people and as a society we need to lament. Uh, we should be frequently lamenting. But why don't we do that? Well, there's two things that we do uh, uh, two things that we do in place of lament. Number one is we ignore. Uh, there are a lot of things to lament, but often we don't because we just want to escape that. We want to ignore that. Uh, Sun Chan Ra in his book on lament says, the American church avoids lament. The power of lament is minimized and the underlying narrative of suffering that requires lament is lost. Ra says, Ra who's a Korean American theologian, says the American church has lost lament. It avoids it. He says it's because they have a triumphalistic uh, theology of—he uh, has a triumphalistic theology of celebration and privilege. That's what he calls it—a triumphalistic theology of celebration and privilege. And he says they cater towards certain classes of people that are privileged, and they leave out the marginalized, the victims of injustice, the broken, those that we disregard. Uh, Often in churches, uh, we just try to block out all the negative things. It's only about celebration. It's only joy. It's only positive vibes. Even in our culture, we want positive vibes. We want to be with people who are positive. And we want to ignore and we discount the broken, the pain, the loss. The second thing that people often do instead of lament is we get angry. When we hear about injustice, when we hear about cheating scandals, When we hear about mass shootings, we want to get our pitchforks out. We want to get angry. Uh, We want to jump on a side. And that's not wrong. Anger is not wrong. Having issues and advocating issues is not wrong, but it often should not be the first thing. Why? Well, when you skip lament and you just go to anger, often you are leaving behind victims of injustice Uh, Instead of comforting them, you're going out and you want to get even. You want justice. You want to make things right. Often when you leave off lament and you go to anger, often the problem with that is that often our rage is misplaced. We're blaming the wrong people. We don't have all the information. But if we start with grief and lament whenever terrible things happen, it slows us down. We can grieve the loss of things that are sacred. We can, we can comfort those who need comforting. And then we, can, if we, then we can move on to things, but we can do so with righteous anger. Uh, we can do it with wisdom. We can do it not out of hate, but out of love, out of compassion. As a society, uh, we need more lament. And as a church, we need more lament. The Bible is filled with lament, people who are lamenting. Uh, our society is in need of people who know how to lament. So the second thing is this. What does it look like to really lament? What is that about? What is that sacred process? What does that involve? Psalm 6, in many ways, is a model lament. It was written by King David. And if you follow King David's life, he had a lot of uh, bad things happen to him. Both that was his fault and both evil that was done to him. In Psalm 6, we read about David feeling the weight of the world on him. In verse 1 and 2, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Uh, David feels like God is angry at him. Lament is really about giving God everything in your heart, every dark, deep suspicion that you have toward God, every negative emotion, and pouring that out before God. David feels like here in the psalm that God is angry with him. Have you ever felt that way? Have you felt that God is angry with you? He has forgotten you? That God has enough of your stuff and he wants to bless other people? He's on other people's side? Have you ever felt that God hates you? That he has had enough of you? I felt that way. David felt that way. And what David does... Is that he brings his worst suspicions to God. The worst suspicions that we could ever have is that God does not love us. That's the worst suspicions that we deeply, if you're honest, feel. That God, you do not love me. You're actually not on my side. And many of us feel that. But what David does with that is that he confronts God with that. He says, God, I know you hate me. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, why do you hate me so much? Why are you so angry with me? Don't be angry at me. Don't forget me. David prays prayers like, God, wake up. You're sleeping on me. I am dying down here. He pours out his frustrations, his bitterness, his deepest suspicions to God. That's what lament is. He brings not only his deepest suspicions, but his deepest hurts to God. Look with me in verse 3. David says, my soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? In verse 2, David says that his bones are troubled. In verse 3, he says his soul is troubled. He uses the same term to talk about his body and his soul. We're made up of two things, body and spirit, flesh and soul. And what David is saying there is that everything about me, my body, my bones, literally, and my spirit is crushed inside and out i'm messed up i'm broken i'm i'm in desperate need and he brings that he describes to god how he's feeling how his soul is feeling how his body feels so broken and he brings that to god and he offers up that up to god in verse six and seven he tells him about the effects of all of that he says that his tears his bed is flooded with his tears He mentions his couch and his bed. Those are two places where you're supposed to be at rest and at peace. But David says, in contrast, these places of peace are places where I'm flooded with grief. He says, I can't sleep at night. I'm constantly weeping. My couch is is wet with all my tears and my grief. I don't know about you, but I've experienced this, this deep unrest in my early 20s, uh, in my late 20s, rather, I went through this experience of depression, and um, I went through this, just this deep anguish, and I could not sleep at night. One night felt like a year. It felt like uh, the time was moving so slow. That's how David felt. He felt like every night he could not sleep. Tears flooding his face, his bed. And he experiences that. And what does he do? He brings those negative feelings to God. Uh, Some people bottle up their negative feelings, that we have them, but we don't express them. We have suspicions about God. We have negative emotions of fear and shame. We don't tell anybody about them. We don't tell God about them. Uh, We suppress it. But what happens is that that will eat you up. Uh, You will leak those negative emotions somewhere. You will become passive aggressive. You will have deep resentment in your soul. So what does David do with those negative emotions? He brings them up and he brings them to God in worship. Notice this about lament. Lament is a part of worship. Most people think that these songs of lament were sung in church. These were church songs. Most people think that worship is saying things like, praise God. God is awesome. God is great. God is good. We think that's worship. But notice this, this psalm of lament was sung in church. Lament is is a part of worship, which means when you say things like, God, where are you? God, wake up. God, how long are you going to leave me here? That's worship as well. Why is that worship? That doesn't sound like worship. To question God and to be angry at God, that doesn't seem like worship. But the psalmist insists that is part of worship. Why is that part of worship? Well, number one, it's true. That's how we really feel. We're not faking it. That's how we really feel sometimes. But secondly, that's part of worship because you're offering it to God, dependence upon God. You're saying, God, wake up. God, I'm, I'm angry, I'm confused, but I'm offering that to you because I know you can heal me. I know you hear me. Uh, that's a part of worship because we're offering those negative emotions to God because we know he can heal us. We know that when we offer it up to him, he's great enough and big enough to handle it. And that's why it's an important sacred practice to worship. We should be in the regular habit of lament. Allow yourself space and time to process your negative feelings, uh, to go beyond the surface of your life, and to wrestle with how you really feel and bring those things to God. Sometimes you need to journal You can talk it out to God in prayer. Bring those things to God. But secondly, lament is also not just about yourself, but connecting with the brokenness in the lives of other people. In the Bible, lament was not just about yourself and your struggles, but was connecting to other individuals. Jesus lamented over Jerusalem, for instance. Uh, He lamented over the state of other people's lives. Sometimes we can get so self-absorbed, but lament means connecting with other people who are desperately in need. Uh, I mentioned Job. One of the things about Job is that Job had all kinds of lament and suffering. He lost his house. He lost his health. He lost his family. But the thing about Job and the thing that made Job's suffering even worse is that he had terrible friends. Job had three friends. They were all terrible. They were all bad. And they would say things like, Job, man... You must have sinned so that this happened to you. Why don't you just confess your sin to God? They lectured him. They gave him sermons. They gave him uh, all kinds of advice. And at the end of all of that, God condemns every single one of those friends. He said, what you said was not right. What was Job's friends supposed to do? And the answer is, they were supposed to be quiet and just lament with Job. They are supposed to weep with Job. They were supposed to experience that with Job. Uh, Romans 12 says that we should weep with those who weep. That we're just to connect to people, uh, to connect with their suffering, to ask them questions, about help, to help them process, to hold their hand, to weep with them. Simply be with people who are in need connect with thing, people in their lament. But finally, the final aspect of lament is lament seasonally. What do I mean by that? Well, if you lamented every single day of your life, that would be a lot. You'd be seriously depressed if lament was every single day, every single hour of your life. That's why in the church history, what we see is that there was seasonal lament. There was a season for lamenting, and that season was Lent. Psalm six historically was written, was read aloud on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday was the very uh, first day of Lent, and the whole idea of Ash Wednesday is that we remember on Ash Wednesday our brokenness. The idea of Ash Wednesday comes from Genesis three nineteen. It says, "For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." And during the season of Lent, we remember that we're all made of dust. That this life is filled with brokenness and darkness. And in Lent, instead of denying that and forgetting that, we experience that together. For a season, Lent is a season where we get in touch with the darkness in our lives and in our world, instead of denying it, instead of just getting angry at it. It's a season of reflection, a season of turning back to God, of crying out to Him. And when we do that, Uh, The season of of Lent ends in Easter. Easter is the resurrection. Uh, Lent and uh, lament is not an end in itself. It's a journey to this place of hope. And this is the last point, the healing of lament. Lament is not an end in itself. It's not uh, for itself. But lament will lead you to true joy. It will lead you to true joy. As David pours out his heart to God, what happens? is that he experiences this healing of God. Look with me in verse 8. It says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. As David pours his heart out to God, he begins to heal. You know, there's healing power in simple acts like weeping, uh, like a confessing, like... Bringing, getting something off your chest. And David experienced that, but to a larger extent because he brings them to God. And he realizes when he weeps and when he cries out that God hears him, that God has received those cries. In verse 8, David says, the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping, that God has received it. It was not in vain. Uh, God has healed it. In Psalm 56, 8, it says, you have kept Count on my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Our tears to God are never wasted. Uh, God puts his tears in his bottle. There's not one tear you've ever shed that God doesn't know about, that God himself doesn't feel. Uh, God, when we cry out to God, the promise of God is that you will find healing. There's this, uh, this is the whole journey of prayer in the Psalms. Uh, that as the psalmist pours out his heart to God, he's on a journey of healing. You know, the Psalter, there's 150 Psalms, but it can be broken down into different sections. Uh, the earlier, the earlier parts of the Psalms are filled with laments. They're lament after lament after lament. But if you get all the way to the end of the Psalter, uh, the last quarter of the Psalms are almost pure praise. They're almost pure worship. In fact, the last psalm, Psalm 115, says praise God 13 times in six short verses. And the idea of the psalms is that when we pour our heart out to God, when we lament and we cry and we pray, that the promise of God is that our laments will one day turn to praise, that our brokenness will one day find an ultimate healing. Eugene Peterson in his book, Answering God, says, all true prayer Pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate, no matter how angry and fearful, ends up in praise. It does not always get there quickly or easily. The trip can take a lifetime, but the end is always praise. Gene Peterson says that the end of all true prayer is praise. It might take a long time to get there. It might take a lifetime. But Peterson says the Psalms promise us that all of our laments and our cries and our anger if we bring them truthfully to god will one day be healed one day it will result in praise ultimately we know that all our prayers and laments will turn to praise by looking at jesus we've been saying throughout this series that jesus embodies the psalms jesus is the fulfillment of every psalm psalm 6 if you look at it really closely this is the same thing with Psalm 22. If you look at Psalm 6 really carefully, it's actually an execution. At the beginning of Psalm 6, uh, the psalmist says that his soul, he feels, he feels like God is pouring out his wrath, his anger against him. And the psalmist is saying, God, do not pour out your anger against me. He feels like his bones and his soul are being crushed. He's in desperation. And ultimately, the Psalm 6 leads us to the cross. Uh, on the cross, Jesus had the anger, the true wrath of God poured out on him. On the cross, Jesus' bones were wasting away. On the cross, Jesus experienced this anger of God, the curse of God. Uh, on the cross, Jesus was praying the Psalms. Uh, on the uh, cross itself in Matthew 27, Jesus prays this prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, that's right from Psalm 22. Uh, Jesus has experienced the true wrath and anger of God in our place. Uh, one way to look at the Psalms is the Psalms show us the inner life of Jesus. Uh, the Gospels tell us what Jesus did, but the Psalms are profound because they tell us the inner life of Jesus. What, are, what was Jesus thinking? What was he praying? What, were, what was his suffering? Lent is a season to experience and remember the suffering of Jesus. Whenever we suffer, we are to remember the suffering of Jesus. We are to remember that no matter what we go through, Jesus also has experienced that. No matter what kind of depression or anger or fear that we face, Jesus has experienced <laughs> the deepest sufferings and he walks with us through it. Jesus is not like Job's friends who give him advice and lectures and sermons. But Jesus is that good friend that in the midst of our suffering, he sits with us. He weeps with us. Hebrews says that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest who knows all of the temptations and the struggles and, the, and the, the tragedies of life. And he feels them and experiences them. But ultimately, the story of Jesus tells us that that suffering... And that pain will always result in praise. Jesus' cross uh, led to the resurrection. At the resurrection, Jesus conquered sin and death. And Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gives us hope that no matter what we go through, no matter what anguish we experience, the promise of God is that that anguish will one day turn to triumph. One day that lament will turn into a song of praise. As we close... Uh, Don't be afraid of the darkness. Don't be ashamed ashamed to weep. Don't be afraid to lament. On the other side of lament is praise and glory. Use this Lenten season to get in touch with the darkness inside of you. Uh, We have about a month left in Lent. And use this whole month to get in touch with the darkness that you've been ignoring, that you've been avoiding. And bring those things to God, your suspicions about God, your anger, your anger. Uh, your fears your temptations bring those things up to God secondly connect with other people there's so many people that are hurting around you that are very silent they don't tell you that but they're, they are suffering in silence connect with them weep with them uh, be involved in their life and most importantly think about the suffering of Jesus find yourself in him uh, and at the end of Lent you will experience this breakthrough of Easter <laughs> the breakthrough of Jesus' resurrection and his glory. Let the hope of Jesus' resurrection uh, give you great delight as you anticipate the joy set before you. Psalm 30, and I'll close with this. Psalm 35 says, His anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may carry on through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we give you this morning, and Father, we walk in here with all kinds of questions. I walk in here with all kinds of hurt and shame. Lord, all of us carry deep suspicions that you don't actually love us, you love other people who are holy, but you don't love us. God, we walk into this place with a lot of fears and shame of, of things that we've done that, we, that are buried in us that are rotting. God, we come in here with all kinds of fears that uh, tomorrow and next year and all those things that we're worried about will not work out. So, Father, this morning, we want to confess those things to you. We want to lay all of our burdens, all of our cares, all of our hurts, all of our frustrations, Father. We, We want to lay them at your feet. And, Father, we thank you that you hear us, that you're not... A small God, uh, but you are a great King who can handle all of our, all, all that is on our heart. And Father, we want to lay them at your feet this, this morning. Father, I pray for a true healing to happen in our church, in our lives, in our community. We pray for a wounded nation that's often confused and divided. And pray, God, that we would be your salt and your light, your hope. Pray, God, that you would minister to us and pray, God, that the hope of Easter, that great resurrection, would be an anchor for our souls, that we would remember the resurrection, that out of death comes life, out of your darkness there'd be a brilliant light. Pray that that would carry us through all things. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.